This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Psalm 32. Uh, it should be up on the screen as well. If you would stand for the reading of God's word. A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not count my iniquity. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let me just start by uh, praying for us. Father, thank you, um, Thank you so much for just the reality that you don't count our sins against us. Um, man, even just the the weight of those first couple verses, the, the fact that we're blessed because you don't take into account our iniquity, because you, you cover over um, our sin. Lord, we don't, none of us really <laughs> will ever fully appreciate the blessing that is your forgiveness, that's your grace, that's your love for us, Lord. I pray that as we look at this psalm, I pray that we consider the reality of grace as we just think about what it means that you love and care for us in a way that we don't deserve. Um, I pray that we just be more impressed with who you are and we'd have a real sense of your presence in our in our lives and we'd be more drawn up to love and desire you because nothing, nothing is like you. Nothing is as gracious and as kind and as forgiving as, as our heavenly father. So yeah, help us with that topic this morning, Lord, help us really consider what it means that you are gracious. In your name I pray. Amen. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, God's grace this morning. It's like what more fun a topic than that, you know, as far as uh, Christianity goes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's hard, huh? In t- oh, yeah, we can do end times, yeah, uh, that's for different, for, yeah, we'll get some charts on this, on the screen, and, um, yeah, I was, when, thinking about this psalm, a lot of commentators put a ton of weight, um, on the first couple of verses, it sets the tone for a lot of what's going on there, 
Um, you know, Arwen told me it was one of her favorite psalms. It's really super tied to Psalm 51 as far as uh, another time where, where David is uh, just kind of talking about his sin and, and expressing that God has forgiven him. So there's sort of like, uh, there was a handful of, I think, really good angles we can take uh, from this psalm. It sort of bookends, it begins and ends with rejoicing and, and blessed and, and praising. So there's sort of that angle um, but what was kind of resonating in my mind uh, as I thought about this psalm was what um, what Paul says in Romans, because he quotes this psalm to make a point. And so I want I want to read uh, this passage in Romans in Romans chapter four, and it'll be on the screen. I want to kind of use this as a as a launch point for uh, how we're going to look at this psalm this morning. Because I, I, it's su- I mean there I don't know if there is more central of a doctrine for our faith, for our religion, for what differentiates us from others uh, or other systems that would that would would communicate uh, maybe making things right with God or a God or, or maybe uh, it would communicate how we find fulfillment or there, there's like a lot of ways and methods of looking at the world and considering what's wrong and what should be and and how we can kind of resolve those things and at at the heart of the christian message at the heart of the gospel that we say is beautiful is the reality that god loves and cares for us and we don't deserve it like we don't deserve it we we use the word grace kind of regularly um and it's uh, just maybe the simplest definition is 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 a is something given to you not deserved. Some theologians will say it's demerited favor. Like not only do you not deserve it, you did everything to go the other way. You, you your whole life in disposition is uh, a rejection of God at the heart. You'd rather worship the the cre- things in the created order, and you don't want anything to do with God at the heart. All of us, each and every one of us, and you're ignoring Him regularly, and yet He makes His way towards you in a way that you definitely don't deserve. Like there isn't a, mo- I don't think there really is like a more central, a more important reality than that when we talk about the gospel. And that doesn't change when you become a Christian. Like, okay, now I'm a believer. So everything about me is glorifying and honor God. So every part of my Christian growth, every part of my life uh, is sort of, in a sense, now I'm earning and deserving and, and, and getting favor from God because now that I'm sort of on the right track, now I'm, I'm doing things that God has, I've earned. We think that way. You know, we think that God is sometimes like a vending machine where if I do X, Y, Z, he does A, B, C for me over here. And we kind of default to that position. But everything about the gospel, everything about being a Christian, everything about the, the, what scripture is communicating to us is from beginning to end, the things that God does for you is grace, is undeserved. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And Paul uses this psalm to kind of like make that point. Chapter four of Romans, verse four. I love how he kind of says this. It's like one of those, Paul says some like really like straightforward things. 
to, to make a point, but we're going to sit on it for a second. He says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. Like, you don't, no, you don't get your paycheck from your company. You're like, wow, company, you're so gracious. You're like, no, I earned that paycheck, and I probably earned more than that paycheck. But you're only giving me this much, and this is the terms of our agreement. So, But he's just saying when you, when you work for something, you're, you're obligated that. It's due to you because you, you, you did something that earned it. And to, let's go on, verse 5. So he makes this obvious statement. It says, And to the one who does not work, but believes or trusts or has faith in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The one who believes in or trusts in who justifies the ungodly, who, another way to say it, <laughs> If you trust, if you believe, if you recognize that God is the one who says you, you are wicked, but I'm going to consider you, I'm going to count you as though you're not, as though you're perfect, as though you're righteous. We, we're, he, Paul is calling us to believe that God would see us as evil as we are, as wicked as, as we do, as much as we ignore him and say, God looks at us and says, I know that you're wicked, and yet I consider you like you're perfect. He's telling us to believe that. And he gives this psalm. He goes, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. And he quotes what we just read. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Look, the Old Testament through David is communicating the wonders and the glory and the, 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 the things we don't deserve that God would consider us righteous even though we are ungodly. This is, this is grace. And he goes on in verse 16 to kind of, you know, has a long argument and the whole book of Romans is, would be a, a fun book to study. But he kind of makes the point in verse 16, he says, that is why it depends on faith, on trust, because we're trusting in God's character in order that the promise may rest on grace. The promise that God has to love, to care for you, to consider you, to work things out for you, to draw near to you, to be there for you, to forgive you, it rests on grace. The reality that you don't deserve it. It's interesting in verse four, uh, the first verse that we read, it says that to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. It's the same word. We, we translate it as a gift, but you could say his wages are not counted as grace, but as his due. Like if you're to earn his favor, it wouldn't be grace from beginning to end. If you were to, you know, we're talking about spiritual practices in uh, our intensive. If you were to commit to morning, midday, evening prayer, Sunday Sabbath, starting uh, with scripture before your phone, meal with everybody, but, you know, name off all the kind of different practices and things. You are no, you're not, you're not, er, you're not earning anything from God. You, you haven't actually contributed anything to God that then he owes you. 
he like your employer, like he is a, a check or a, a grace or a blessing or a favor that's due to you. Everything he gives you is grace. It's undeserved. It's undeserved. So that's what we're going to see that and think about grace as we walk through this psalm. That's kind of the first point is that grace is undeserved. Grace is undeserved. The next thing we're going to kind of think about is that grace is humiliating. If we really recognize what God is saying, if we really have a grip on the, oh, I think uh, Tim Keller said, you're, you're more loved than you could ever imagine, but, but the other side is you're more wicked than you could ever imagine. <laughs> like we, we can't, it's, it's difficult for us to wrap our hearts and minds around how wired we are to draw away from God re regularly. So, so if we're really going to believe that everything in the Christian life, that the central truth that is meant to encourage us and, and show us the character of God is that you can't, you don't earn it, you can't earn it, you've done, you regularly do things that make it so you're going the other way, it's completely undeserved. Grace is undeserved. Grace is also a little bit humiliating because it reveals to us how incapable we are. It reveals to us how incapable we are. I think David is kind of getting at this in the psalm. He talks about how, how blessed we are. Um, most people in, in that a mascal of David... Um, just at the very beginning of the psalm. And, you know, for the rest of the time, if you just don't have your Bibles open, we're going to be in Psalm 32, kind of looking at that as a whole. Um, going to kind of jump around the psalm because I think there's just some themes we can pull out of it. Uh, but at the very beginning, when it says the mascal of David, it's, most interpreters see this like a, this is something David is giving to us to teach us something. Like it's a it's a teaching. There, There's some, it's not super clear, which is why our Bibles just say, uh, uh, a mascal, but a lot of a lot of commentators say this is just David is in Psalm fifty one. David is actually saying, "Lord, if you forgive me, I'll teach your grace. I'll like teach others about how good and wonderful you are." And so this is almost like uh, what this is him doing that. He's saying, "Look, I'm here. I'm going to teach you about the grace, about the forgiveness, about the goodness of God in light of our failures." And so he says, "Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven." whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In whose spirit there is no deceit. And I, when I, I mean, maybe it's because this is how my brain works. When I first read that, I'm like, is there deceit in my spirit? Do I get forgiveness? You know, like, like do I have this thing so I can get forgiveness? Is this like a qualifier for these things? And it's actually more meant to be, uh, most people think it's meant to be more in, uh, an introspective thing, is if God is saying we need forgiveness, as God is saying we're not capable, if God is saying you need my, my undeserved forgiveness, 
deep down in our hearts, in our spirit, in the innermost beings, we're good at deceiving ourselves. We're good at deceiving ourselves. Uh, you could say from Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Like we're, we're the best at convincing ourselves that we know the right thing to do, that we've done the right thing, and that we are earning it or we feel pretty, we're good at, or, or I would say another expression of that is we're good at even convincing ourselves we're capable of doing the right thing. Even when we're down on ourselves, we're down on ourselves because we know better we could have done the right thing. And grace is telling us over and over again, you can't. You're incapable. You need Christ. You need God to bring something to you, to give you forgiveness, something that's not deserved, that you actually couldn't accomplish if you tried your hardest and your best every day and every week. It's a little humiliating. And he says, don't be deceived. And there's a few words he gives for for sin here. And, And there's interesting kind of different angles. He says, he talks about transgressions, He talks about iniquity. He talks about sin. And they all kind of have a hand, they all kind of approach our failure from a different way. Sin is just this idea that we don't measure up to God's standard. We fall short of the standard that God has revealed. In Adam, all have sinned. All of us come into the world in sin in a way where we're not measuring up to the standard of the glory of God. Transgression has sort of the connotation of like rebellion. It's one thing to not hold ourselves up to a standard that God reveals. It's another thing to see what God has said and push back against it. We, we, we see God's law and we, re, we rebel, we, we transgress his law. There's, there's, a, there's sort of a, a rebellious connotation there. And then iniquity has sort of this sense of like twisting, like taking something that's good and just changing it just a little bit or taking something that God has decreed as bad and putting a spin on it so we can say that it's good. So David is sort of laying out all of these ways that we fall short, that we rebel against what he said, that we twist. He's saying, in light of all of that, how blessed are you that God does not count those things against you? How blessed are you that God covers over that that gap where you fall short, that he has given you this the, the reality that is righteousness that comes from him? Like, how blessed are you that we twist all of these different things? But he, but he ends that section and says, in whose spirit there's no seed. He's like, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. And I think it's a good reflex. If, if this is the warning that David is giving us, if, if, if he's trying to communicate to us the, the wonders of grace, if he's trying to tell us that, that grace isn't deserved, but it's also can be a little bit humiliating, he's saying, don't deceive yourself. I think it's kind of good to just ask and say, Lord, Help me see where I could be deceived. Reveal in my heart where I think that I know better. 
maybe pride is the opposite of grace humbling us. So, so reveal in my heart, Lord, where my pride says, I actually could measure up. Expose that in my thinking where, where I've dropped the ball and I, and I, and I think about it and I, and I dismiss what God is doing and I say, Lord, uh, if only this, I could have done this, I could have measured up, I could have been here. Reveal that to me. Help me see where my pride is deceiving me into thinking that I don't need grace or where my pride is making me resistant to being humbled. Pride also says we rebel because we know better. We, we rebel because we know better. Maybe God is working something in your life. Maybe you're in a situation that is difficult. Maybe there's something that you're reaching for that you can't yet get. And, and because of that, usually what comes out of us is not love, joy, and peace. <laughs> and so grace is telling us it, you, you need God's law. You need what God has communicated to humble us and say, Lord, I don't know better. I don't know better. You know better. Pride is keeping us from being humbled so that we could enjoy the undeserved favor, the grace that God has for you. I think this shows up in sort of this, this is a, the fancy word is a, is a chiasm. Um, the beginning and the end section of this psalm kind of have similar themes. The middle section of this psalm has similar things. And then in the center, it kind of point, points to something, which really is the, the presence and glory and rest that's found in God. And so kind of this, this outer section is talking about the blessed is the one who's forgiven. Like whoever has this grace is blessed. And that's why the psalm kind of ends with be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. So it's like the, the bookends of like, look what God has done for you. L look at how we can see that we twist or our pride pushes back against what God is doing, but we can say we're blessed. We can rejoice. We can shout for joy and say, I can't believe that God would see me for who I really am and yet still love me and come towards me and, and, and draw near to me. And that the next section that's sort of talking about our humiliation, that, that's sort of like pushing back against our pride is instructing us on how to enjoy more of what God has given us. So if you look at the next few verses, look at what he says in verse three and four. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When I kept silent. He's like, when I wasn't honest with myself about my own need for God's grace, that wore me out. When I wasn't willing to go to the Lord and expose my need and humble myself and be humiliated by the reality that I, I can't actually earn anything, I can't actually do it, I can't actually get from here to here. I need God to 
show me that I'm first in need of him and I need to confess that, I need to let that out because if I don't, if I'm stubborn and I, and I wanna hold on to this reality that I need God for this, this, and this, but I don't need to listen to God over here, if, I'm, if I cling to that, it destroys me on the inside. Because we don't like to be humiliated. Verse five, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And it kind of goes on in the Psalm that kind of there's a shift in that part where he's just talking about as I, as I let it out, as I was honest with God about my need for his grace, the thing that I don't deserve, the thing that I can't earn, the thing that tells me I'm not capable and humiliates me. He goes on and says, as, I, as, as I confessed that to God, there was rescue, there was his presence, there was hope, there was joy. But I want to look at, before we move to the, to, to the, the center part of the psalm, we're kind of working our way into the middle. We talked about the, the, the fact that grace is undeserved and we can rejoice and there's joy there. This next little section that we're, we're focusing on is this idea that, that we, we enjoy that grace. We we get a chance to taste that. We get a chance to embrace the presence and beauty and glory of God when we humble ourselves, when, when we're humiliated by that grace. And he's saying, when you keep it in, when you deny that reality to God, my bones wasted away. It eats you up on the inside. But if you look towards the, towards the end and the, the other half of this section, look at what verse nine says. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. Like, like that's kind of a harsh, I mean, I, he's saying like, don't be an animal that God has to put something in your mouth to get you to come towards him. Like the kind of the, I think the good news about that is for all people who are united to Jesus, to those who are, are part of what God is doing in the world, if, if you are genuinely in Christ, he will not let you keep it in. He will not let you wander off into this way of thinking that says, I can somehow earn it. I can somehow get here. I can somehow accomplish this thing without his help. Like God, for, for God's people, he will, if he has to put a bridle in you and, and yank you towards his grace, he'll do that. He's not gonna just let you wander away from him because he loves you. But he's, the psalmist is encouraging us, like we don't have to be that way. It says, be, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. If you, want to en if you want to enjoy where the psalm is going as we talk about the blessing and the glory and the, the majesty of grace being undeserved, if you want to, you want to go to the, this, this comfort or this rescue or the presence of God, the, the, the step you need to take is to acknowledge your need for him. The step you need to take as you begin to understand that grace is undeserving is to be humiliated by that. to lower yourself and say, Lord, I'm not capable of this. I'm not sufficient for this. I'm not able to move from here to there on my own. 
I need your grace. I need more of what I don't deserve. This is, as David is trying to teach us, is trying to instruct us about enjoying the joy and the blessedness of forgiveness. Is he, he warns us in the very first couple of verses is, don't deceive yourself. I think it's a great place as a Christian to just be asking God to reveal where you don't think you need him. Like where, where in your, like we, we get to places where we're desperate. Like God, God will use the bit in the bridle and will move us wherever, where we need to be. He is so, he's good. He won't leave us you know, alone. We were talking about this in the intensive and someone said, I found what teaches me more about the goodness and grace of God is suffering. And I was like, amen, it definitely does. And th- there's lots of reasons why we suffer and I'm not trying to narrow it down. We're in a broken world. Um, we suffer because of the reality of where we're at. But one of the reasons why we suffer is so that God can direct us more towards his grace and goodness. But kind of what I said is, amen to that. God uses suffering to draw us into his glory. But we don't have to wait for that. <laughs> we don't have to wait till things hit the fan to be like, oh, now I need to draw near to God. But we, like, but that, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it, right? Like when, when things are just clicking, when life is like going, you know, we're on, we're on vacation or, or, or things are going great at work or I don't have any issues over here. Like we're regularly begin to drift away from our need for God because we got it under control. And God is saying, you don't have it under control. So I think it's good when you're in a season where, it, thank the Lord, you're not going through something that's difficult. You're not more righteous in that season. You're not, you're not you don't need God less when you're having a great time than when you're suffering and struggling. But we deceive ourselves into thinking we need God less when we're not suffering. So I think it's really good as a Christian just to practice to say, just praise God, thank God for some of the things that that are going great and just say, Lord, reveal to me where I need you. Humble me so that I can enjoy more of you. Expose the parts of my heart, the innermost parts of my spirit that say, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> so that I could draw near to you. Because grace is undeserved. If we really are honest about our need, about our iniquity, about our sin, about our transgression, grace is humiliating. Grace is lowers us gives us a, an appropriate view of ourselves as we, as we look at God, but grace is also very personal. Grace is also very personal. Let's look at what David says in the kind of, we've kind of made our way into the, the center point of this psalm. Verse six, he says, 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And it's a lot, uh, you know, there's some wording here that's similar to Isaiah. Um, it, it's, it's almost like David is saying all the time. <laughs> like, when is God not able to be found? Like, what, when, when do we not have access to the presence of God? Where, where could we, he has other psalms where he's like, I could be at the bottom of the ocean. I could be at the, the tallest mountain. You are there. And so he's encouraging the godly, saying, go to the Lord at all times. And he says, surely in the, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him, the godly one. When, when things are swirling around you, when things are a little bit chaotic and you're, and you're drawing near to God and you're asking and, and receiving that grace from him, it could, you could be in, in this torrential flood and yet they're not gonna reach you. And verse seven says, because you, God, are a hiding place for me. Amen. You, God, are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Amen. And I say that grace is personal because you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me. You surround me. This isn't an image of like you have removed me from this thing. This isn't an image of, of you've changed my circumstances. This is an image of a, a personal God being with you. Because that's the end goal of grace. That, that's, that's everything that happens after Genesis 3 and before Revelation is to restore us to the presence of God. You're, you image him. You, you are not an animal. He can tell us not to be like the mule or the horse. You have unique and amazing things about you because God has designed you to enjoy him in a way that nothing else in creation can. Nothing else in creation can enjoy him like you are capable of. That was his intention all along. And Adam broke that, separated that. And it's God's grace, the, the transformation that comes in our life, the justification that comes in and through Jesus Christ, the, the, the Holy Spirit, all of these things are not deserved, that dwells in you, that gives you a sense of God. It's God's grace as we humble ourselves that begins to restore that thing that was broken at the beginning that begins to give us a real, true, and wonderful sense of his presence so that we could say, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Yes, you, personally, God, you are a hiding place for me. Grace brings us back to the person of God himself. kind of ends the psalm. He ends the psalm in a way he begins it with kind of these shouts for joy. But a few of the themes kind of come together. In verse 10, it says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
And it's, it's, I think what he's saying is, I don't, if this is a teaching for us, right? If he's trying to communicate the joy and the wonder of forgiveness, the, the beauty of grace, the, the way that we, we shouldn't hide how we fail. We should bring it before the Lord. We should ask him to reveal the way our hearts deceive ourselves. This is sort of, if you were to, if you were to sort of map this psalm out, when, when he talks about our spirit deceiving ourselves, like in whose spirit there is no deceit, the kind of other parallel for that is many are the sorrows of the wicked. And I think what he's trying to communicate to us is, is people who love God, is people who, who want to enjoy that personal presence that comes from God himself. He's trying to, to share with us that this reality that we wicked is like going against God's law. Wicked is like rejecting the things that God has offered. Wicked is like saying, I know better. Wicked is like those, you know, we, if we make it all you and out here, then it doesn't affect anything right here. But grace is saying, you're wicked. I'm wicked. Our children are wicked. We regularly desire and pursue things that God is saying no to. Or that God is saying we should go this direction and we want to go this direction. All of us do that. And I think he's just trying to give us a warning. He's like, that's not going to go well for you. There's so many things in this world that we trick ourselves into thinking are the answer. There's so many things in this world that we examine them in light of scripture and we say, this part makes me uncomfortable, so maybe I'm just not going to really think about this right now or I'm going to go over here. And, And I think he's just encouraging us and he's saying, that doesn't go well. That doesn't bring more joy and peace. That doesn't, it's a, it's Satan is, showing you the things in the world and showing you all these things that are apart from God himself. He's saying, just prioritize God over here, you know, pretty close to the top. Or maybe this part you can ignore. This wickedness, this idea that we're going away from God's design for us and what he's created us for and everything he's communicated to us in his word. He's warning us and he's saying, many are the sorrows of the people that do that. Many are the sorrows. And then he says, but (laughs) the steadfast love of the Lord, the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Surrounds, like steadfast love is like God's loving commitment to us. It's this word hesed, it comes up all the time. It's like, he's saying, I'm so committed to you if you're to trust me, if you're to humble yourself, if you're to, to see what I've communicated in my law, what I've, what I've shared with you about my character, and you trust me, the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Love surrounds you. <laughs> love from a personal God who knows you who draws near to you 
who cares for you when you don't deserve it. <laughs> Love from a personal God that, that wants you to be able to say, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You are my hiding place. Personal. He wants to be there and surround you with his steadfast love. That's, what, that's where grace is going. It's undeserving. Yes, it's humiliating because we deep down we want to feel like we got everything under control and we can handle this, etc. And it's, we're wrong. But it's personal because it's God drawing near to you. It's the creator of the universe surrounding you with his commitment and love towards you. That's, what, that's where grace is drawing you in. Which makes sense then, how he would end the psalm. It says, be glad in the Lord. As you're surrounded by his presence and you enjoy what he's doing and how he's coming towards you, how he loves you, how he cares for you, he's showing you these grace. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. Amen. Rejoice. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Yes. If you're if you're honest with yourself and you reckon and there's no deceit you're not trying to deceive yourself into thinking that you are capable or that you are able or that you deserve something and you're everything you've been given is from God and it's grace and it's undeserved and he's drawing near to you he's saying rejoice in that praise him for it thank him I was thinking about singing about the line that you are a hiding place for me. Come, uh, the book, The Hiding Place, I've referenced it before. That's kind of the verse that gets that comes up, and it's um, if you don't know anything about the book, you don't. It's a lady that goes through some really difficult things in a concentration camp as a Christian, um, based on a true story. It's a great book. Um, but I was thinking about how often when I go to the Lord and I humble myself and I, and I am like David, I'm confessing and I'm being honest about, about where my heart is at and where I need him. So much of my requests towards him are for him to either give me an ability, give me wisdom, give me this situation and not this situation. I'm, I'm asking for like the particular, I'm asking for things to work out a certain way even as I confess my inability for that. And I think that there is wisdom in asking God to show himself and to reveal himself. And as he works things out in ways that you didn't see, you glorify him and praise him for that. But I think more often God is bringing these circumstances and, and showing me how I fall short and revealing to me that I need more of his grace 
that I don't have the wisdom, that I don't have the ability to move from here to here, that I don't know how this is going to working out, so that I can plead with him and understand that in this situation, God is my hiding place. I can actually have more a sense of the personal presence of the grace of God. I think that's what David is pointing at. I think that's another thing that we could just grow in pleading with him to do. Yes, pray for God to show up in wonderful ways in the things that we're struggling with. Yes, pray for God to give you wisdom. James tells us to do that. <laughs> but if we're to rank what God is doing by his grace, by, by what he is coming what, what he's accomplishing in the history of the world in ways that we don't understand or deserve, he's accomplishing bringing us back into his presence. This is the, the biggest, most grandest thing that Jesus has accomplished on the cross is he's taken that dividing wall, the, the curtain that was keeping God and man separate was torn apart so that Jesus could bring you and God back into fellowship with one another. That's what grace does. And so when we go to him and we plead with him, I think it's instructive for us to say, Lord, there's all of these things going on, but I want you to show up so I can say with the psalmist, you are my hiding place. Your grace is working to bring you present with me so that I can know that you're here, so that I can rest, so that even in the torrent of great waters, they will not get to me because you are my hiding place. You are the one that brings me comfort and joy and peace in situations that seem absurd that anyone would have comfort and joy and peace because you're with me. That's the blessing of having your sins forgiven. That's the blessing. The presence of God is the, the blessing of having your iniquities not counted against you. That's the blessing of having your transgressions covered is the very presence of God. And when we plead with him and we pray for, the, for that presence, he is working through his grace to draw us closer to him. We can be assured of that. We can be assured of that. So we can, like the psalmist, rejoice, be glad, and shout for joy for all the things he does for us. Most importantly, his presence. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are here right now. Lord, I thank you that your spirit is at work in my very far from perfect words. Lord, I know that he loves to glorify you. I know that he has been poured out because Jesus is risen from the dead and he's accomplishing the reunification of God with man in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each heart here that, that may be resisting some of that humiliation that may not want to be lowered because they may see something 
more glorious or more beautiful than your presence, Lord, or they maybe they just don't believe it. Maybe it just seems like something that is impossible or not tangible or Lord, I pray that your spirit would give them a taste of your goodness. Lord, I pray that your presence would stir affections. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a chance to sing your praises and to take communion and just reorient our hearts and minds around everything that we get in and through you. In your name I pray, amen.